0: Hello, everybody. My guest today is Melissa Owens. Melissa is a nurse in recovery, and I recently read her story in a feature article. Her story was moving, as really all stories of substance use disorder and recovery are. But what I really appreciated was the way she put into words how she got where she ended up going straight to the ICU as a new grad, the specific pressures of the job, the culture and her exposure to opioids and the use of alcohol. So I want to welcome you, Melissa. Thank you very much for being with us today and being willing to share your story.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. And like I, like I mentioned to you before, I'm just so grateful to have this platform to be able to discuss this big important topic.
0: Yes, and you know, you had shared in your story that somebody else's story really helped you. And so, that's one of the goals here is to, you know, reach out to touch people to to help them, give them hope. And then also, as I mentioned to you, one of my goals is to humanize this disease for those who are in positions like myself being the diversion. A uh, specialist who's monitoring and, and watching for this kind of activity in their facilities. So let's start with um, start with your story. Talk us through, you know your your leading up to graduating as a nurse and how you entered that field and how it all impacted you.
1: Sure, um, you know I think my story. Uh, as far as how I, I got into nursing <clears throat> is similar to to many other nurses that I I feel like nursing kind of chose me. Um, you know, I, I like I, I think I mentioned in my um, article, I, I didn't seek this out for the fame and fortune. Um, I rather, you know, at a very early age was kind of delegated to, uh, you know, help uh, aging family members and kind of keep them busy in the summers and so forth. And that turned into you know a, a really obvious uh sense of direction for me that this is really where i found this is where my passion lied i mean i and still to this day i in fact i was just explaining to one of my children that filling up other people's cups is the best way that i fill up my cup so um you know that that became really early on it became evident very early on for me so um <clears throat> you know i i upon graduation from high school I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to or where I wanted to go and, and uh, seek an education and, and so forth and um, I took time off did, did some traveling around the world or around the country I should say and moved to several different places and and ultimately uh, ended up in Eugene Oregon and started working at a, a nursing home as a, a nursing assistant and. Um, and that just further drove home the fact that, like, this is exactly where, you know, I need to be putting my focus. Ultimately moved back and, and went to college uh, for nursing. And um, throughout the nursing uh, college experience, you know, we have clinicals in various different areas, uh, specialty areas, and um, I, I think if there was one that I leaned most towards, it was OB. <clears throat> and then when I did my OB clinical, and the very first day i was pulled into a a live birth um and told to just stand in the corner and you know just observe i was um so emo i was crying you know i was i was that nurse in the corner crying and the parents are probably looking at me like what who is this what is wrong with this girl (laughs) and after that whole experience i thought well i i definitely don't want to do ob because i don't think i can handle that um but uh still didn't really know but then uh you know, approaching graduation, um, I just kind of put feelers out there and um, got a lot of uh, options. But one of my really good friends uh, was offered a job in the exact same uh, hospital and the same intensive care unit that I was as well. So it just seemed like a good fit to, to do this with her. We both felt like we didn't know what we were gonna be doing, what we were getting ourselves into. So uh, we might as well just try it together. And uh, try to hold each other up. So that's where I found myself was in a fresh out of nursing school in a fifteen bed um, general medical ICU. Uh, it, the hospital is a level two hospital. So, um, boy, and just clueless, scared, um, but you know, eager, and just so proud to be a nurse. So proud to yeah. be a nurse. I just couldn't wait. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a little tough the icu we have good friends of ours whose daughter is a nurse as well and she started in the icu and she came in right at the time of covid and she eventually left to the icu this was you know it was just too much but even under other circumstances no COVID, the icu is a really tough place i think to to get your feet wet um
1: i would agree and i think yeah. When the pandemic started, you know, we we kind of said to each other in the hospital uh, that, you know, what the public doesn't realize is that, you know, every day in a hospital. And so here we are, you know, with a pandemic on top of day-to-day operations, like there's a pandemic. So, um. I, I mean, I can't personally know of a couple other new graduates who, um, you know, unfortunately started their career during uh, COVID, and um, you know, it, it's led to them, you know, really questioning the profession. And I don't um, discourage them from from feeling that way. It, it was a very, it's a very overwhelming thing. But you're right. I mean, ICU just in general is overwhelming, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, and like I said, I think that was important to have a, a support there, a friendly face from nursing school. So we could both just like, you know, cry in the bathroom together. Like, you know, should I be doing this? I'm never gonna figure this out. And and eventually, you know, a year later, uh, it was just like riding a bike. You know, I, it was it was like a just a transition, walking in there one day and it was like everything just you know, everything just fit and I and I could finally start operating as though I, you know, was confident and comfortable and Um, I had a very wonderful uh, preceptor and a manager, and it was a very supportive place to to start off my career. Um, But I was not prepared for, well, I wasn't prepared for the the nursing aspect of it, first of all. I I, um, I don't think you can ever really prepare for the actual thing. Um, But I wasn't prepared for everything that came along with being an intensive care nurse. and that is something that definitely affected me very early on
0: okay what were some of those things that uh that you weren't yeah. prepared for that come along with that
1: you know, yeah a very i mean first and foremost the the um you know the personal side of of the the people that we are caring for um you know, it was so, it was really difficult for me to witness a lot of the things that I was witnessing early on. I had never had exposure to, um, you know, people dying to death, um, and let alone um, in a very tragic way. And most of, the, you know, most of the people that I, I cared for, um, you know, were in there due to some sort of pretty sudden tragedy. And so it, it wasn't just about managing this patient who was you know, struggling to, we were struggling to keep them alive, um, but it was caring for their family there too, who was, um, you know, going through the, the the worst possible time in their life. And it, it was just a, a heaviness that I just I couldn't, I didn't know how to not carry that around. And I don't think I still do, but um, that combined with just the overall stress of the job and managing, um, you know, one sick patient, let alone the long hours 12-hour shifts that turn into 16 hours no breaks no lunch constantly on your feet you know um that all was just very um it, it just was a lot it was a lot and it was just a, a feeling that I, I it was a sink or swim you No, know, in fact my preceptor actually mentioned something like that I, I don't know the exact quote that she made and i wouldn't try to you know say something uh because I, I don't know the exact quote, but she did mention the fact that like, this is gonna be something that you either are gonna get swallowed up by, or you're gonna just get through the day. Um, you know, with like a nice hard pat on the back. It wasn't like, it nobody was holding my hand like in nursing school, you know, trying to get me to put that IV in. So it was very eye
0: opening. Yeah, and the those types of hours and that type of pace um, it doesn't really give you an opportunity for any kind of self-care. I mean, you you know, no. you, you keep going because you have to keep going, but we do need to take care of ourselves, but that type of position doesn't allow you to do that. Like you said, no breaks and no. I was in a hospital recently doing a gap analysis for them, and you know, I'm carrying my water around. and, and so some of the people that were escorting us, when they said, you know, do you need some water? You know, it's like, oh, I have some, I need a refill though. But they were like, oh yeah, I haven't had anything to drink. I'm just used to it. You know, that's nurses, we don't drink (laughs) throughout the day. And um, it's true. You don't have to go
1: to the bathroom, right? That's That's
0: right. Well, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You don't do one, don't do the other. You're not allowed to keep your, you know, drinks in an area where there's patient care. So you don't have time Mm -hmm. to run someplace else and take a swig. And so you just don't do it. You don't take care of yourself. No. In your article, you mentioned uh, the toxic culture. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. I will also add that you know the self care piece. Uh, that is not something that that we're even taught um, mm. at all in nursing school, and um, you know that's unfortunate because <clears throat> I wasn't taught that in any other uh, education uh, system either. And um, unfortunately, now it's something I'm trying to learn now. You know. 18 years into my career, but, uh, either way. Yes. Um, the, the toxic culture, I think, yes, that was another piece that, um, I I just, I wasn't aware of, and I wasn't prepared for, and I, you know, really didn't know how to, how to manage it still don't, but you know, there's, um, like I said, my, my preceptor was wonderful, but very, um, this is matter of fact, you know, this is how it is. I'm not going to hold your hand. If you don't get it, you shouldn't be here. You know you're now this is life or death and you know you're kind of responsible for that and um you know i appreciated that i didn't probably need a hand holder but there were times i may have you know wanted a shoulder to cry on but um what i started noticing very early on was um and hearing you know rumblings about you know nurses eat their young you know that that sort of quote and um And then just experiencing that, yeah, with with some of not even older nurses, but I guess more senior nurses that were, you know, had been in the position five, 10 years before I came in. Um, It wasn't, a, you know, they didn't throw a party for me when I got there. Uh, There really wasn't a lot of warm, um, you know, gossip time or anything. It it was really... um, you know it was a i felt very alone I, I felt like if i asked for help um it was kind of questioned like you know didn't you learn this or do you really need help and and so you know it kind of made me want to just pull away and kind of try to do things myself which i also didn't feel comfortable doing and so um you know that was my early on taste to it is that it just kind of was a sink or swim and it and there wasn't this like camaraderie and this unified team it was really like um you just kind of had to watch who you were asking for help because they might just um you know maybe mention to your preceptor later that that you don't know what you're doing because you asked you know xyz question those were the little things i was noticing early on but again just you know realized i was new in this position this was my first career job i'm coming into somebody else's territory like this is how you know it was a, a tight group of co-workers you know, maybe it's going to take me a while to, to break that that barrier sure. but um you know in various jobs I mean I you know started experiencing what what there what is very well documented and researched about this lateral violence in, in nursing um you know it's been studied and and it, there's plenty of, of research uh papers that have been written about it that it, it does exist in this in this uh field and I and um I I don't and I can't say that I haven't played a part in some of it as well, because it is kind of like that um, locker room type of mentality, in a sense. That um, you know, I've I've been in positions where I felt if I if I wasn't um, if I wasn't contributing to some of the behavior, um, then I was going to be on the other end of it as well. Um, you know, and I, I'm not. Um, you know, I'm not. I didn't write any of the research papers, so I don't want to speak as to what you know my opinion on all of that is. But, but that became something that I, you know, I I, I grew a lot of distrust for, um, you know, the the coworkers who I really should have been united with, and, um, you know, I think that often leads to. I just know personally, I've experienced other nurses that has led to, you know, a lot of errors that happen because people are afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shouldn't be that way. Um, but, right. but it's definitely, I felt that very early on. Well,
0: that's interesting. That's very sad. Um, and you're right. If you don't feel comfortable asking somebody a question, then that's when you're gonna make your own decision, which might not be right. And so I know I've always worked really hard in pharmacies where I've had any management responsibility to try to build that culture of, hey, we're in this together you know, do not hesitate to ask, even if you think it's stupid. And those of you that get asked, you know, you need to, to be open and have the right attitude. I guess, I don't know, maybe, exactly. maybe they feel that, you know, I went through the sink or swim. And so yeah. now you are too, I made it. And this is what toughened me up. And it's just part of the process. And so if mm-hmm. I did it, you did it. Plus, if you don't have time to self care for yourself, I don't have time to care for the newbie that's on the floor either because you know we're all yeah.
1: thing. well yeah, so, you're right it's sad. it is sad and I think there's a lot of things that contribute to it and I think one of them is this like well this is how it was for me and um, you know so why don't we just keep perpetuating the problem but um, it's also because it is a you know it's, it's a high burnout job and if you're yeah. not doing self-care then you're pretty jaded and you're not really enjoying your job and unfortunately that that exists in a lot of workplaces, not just nursing, but, um, you know, that, that is prevalent. And, and, you know, later on when I became a preceptor and started, um, you know, orienting new employees to the unit and so forth, um, in, in various other positions, you know, I did tell them right away that, you know, I really welcome your questions. I want you to ask questions because quite honestly, that the, the new nurse who comes in here and doesn't ask any questions, I'm very worried about because um, if you're not asking questions, and I'm just assuming you're doing what you think is what you what you should do, but but nobody expects you to know how to do this yet. So, right, you know, there's a reason why our orientation is like a six month orientation. So, right,
0: absolutely,
1: so, you know, don't feel bad and find your your trusted find your trusted person and, and go to them with questions.
0: Right, absolutely. Okay, so you mentioned you were a preceptor. Um, I think you were pretty much a high achiever, right? Once you got there, you escalated up into the you know chain of command, shall we say. Is that how you had always been, even prior to graduating from nursing school? Or did some of that overachieving, high achieving, was that a function of the disease that eventually um, came? And an attempt to outperform the disease, so to speak.
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, I can answer that. That it definitely. What I was not a high achiever. Um, you know, prior to graduating nursing school, I was. Um, you know, I, I study. I mean, in nursing school, you have to be a high achiever, essentially. Um, you know, if you don't have a B average, then you're not gonna you're not gonna get through it. So that was definitely a step up from where I came from. You know, high school I I you know, I played sports, so as long as I could get by so I could still play the sport, um I was you know, that was enough for me. School yeah. was never enjoyable for me. So
0: you you um, were one of those that was president of every organization and volunteering and AP classes and, you know, the the overachiever. Unfortunately,
1: yeah, no, unfortunately, I think my greatest achievement was I was secretary of the student council in fifth grade. Um, Other than that, yeah, Yeah. I just, you know, my mom was so grateful the day I graduated and was like, okay, well, let's just move on, you know, let's try another chapter. (laughs) Um, you know, but I, I learned very different and I had to learn that in, in college, I had to have tutors because I learned very different than how the average, you know, uh, well, how school is designed for children to learn, kids to learn. So, um, yes, no, it wasn't an overachiever. And I think, you know, you bring up a a good point that I think it was, um, you know, part of the disease and this, um, you know, becoming hyper-focused on, um, you know, this, well, I also, so I should just back up just a little bit. I quickly found my niche in ICU, you know, as much as it was hard, and it was um, grueling, and it was stressful. I settled in really quickly. And it just felt like this is where I belonged, you know. Um So I was very passionate. And I was, you know, um, very patient centered. And I just wanted to do the most I could in the 12-hour period, which was like, went by in a blink of an eye. You um, know, so I became very involved in, in the work. And um, and so I think, yeah, a combination of, of that and the just the functioning of the, the disease, uh, ultimately, which I wasn't realizing for, you know, many years into my career. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that disease in a bit. But mm-hmm. I do have one more question. You mentioned debriefing. In your article
1: Mm -hmm. what
0: is that 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 was a term i wasn't i mean i can kind of guess but what is debriefing
1: yeah um so a debriefing is essentially you know a a lot of um uh, uh, paramedics or emts have um after they witness a, a traumatic event or, go, you know, go to a, a, a call that, that something traumatic has happened, they can come back and there's oftentimes, you know, facilities have teams available for de- these debriefings and there are people that are, you know, specialized in like trauma response or, you know, other things, counseling type of, of uh, specialties. So, you know, but it often consists of the team that has cared for this uh this individual or the case that has happened and then some of the the people that are just designated to this debriefing team and then you can just kind of talk about what you just witnessed because um, like I said, I, I didn't have this background of, you know, um, a, a previous life of ICU nursing or, or, you know, something comparable to that. So all of a sudden, I'm just, you know, this average girl getting thrown into a situation and, and seeing these things that are just not I just don't think everybody's made to see all those things and and so um but in the meantime you know i'm seeing all these things but my job is to not see those things but to focus and see exactly what needs to be done and to just get through it and oftentimes you know the 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 stressful situations of a um you know code when somebody is is uh is actively dying and we're trying to resuscitate them that is a very intense and stressful time period because everybody is doing their own job, um, but at the same time, I mean, you're involved in a situation that is very traumatic and uncomfortable, and and um, there's just a lot that goes. And then all you know, ultimately, those situations end very fast. Whether it's the the patient unfortunately expires, or they're stabilized, but the team is gone and you're there alone to clean up the mess. Um, but you know, and it's in those moments then when the when the event has has ended that you know you're just kind of processing this. And I mean, there has to be some sort of a a release for that. And I and and we didn't have that. I never. I, oh, I should say never. I I think I had a informal debriefing happen one time, and that was because a physician kind of said, "I'm really bothered by this," and and we just kind of grouped together. There was no team. There was nothing like that. But um, you know i had to just kind of process those things on my own i had to take those things home even though i'm not supposed to take those things home it's like how do you not um you you know i'm human um and uh that became very hard for me um -hmm. and and very heavy. i think that was a a huge weight and unfortunately that's something that was happening daily you know in the icu it's pretty much daily that 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 kind of situation is unfolding
0: yeah no i hear you and like you said i mean nothing in school prepares you for that and i still remember the first time where i had a patient expire on the table and it was exactly that a code and you know and as a pharmacist depending on where you're working you may not see much mm-hmm. of that but when you carry that code pager then you're the yep. one and i remember it very mm-hmm. vividly my first time an ed code mm-hmm. and um you know, all of a sudden the physician is saying, all right, I'm going to call it. Does anybody have anything else that they, you know, is everyone good with this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like,
1: that's the worst (laughs) worst five seconds because you're in your head. You're just thinking, what could, or what did I do wrong leading up to this? This was my patient. They were just fine. Or, or, um, you know, and everybody's thinking that looking at each other, like we can't, there's gotta be something else we can do. Um, but yeah, that's not the reality.
0: And that's it. So it always made me very mindful for pharmacists, Mm -hmm. but it should be the same for everyone is that, you know, then throughout my career, where I would have a new pharmacist that then experienced it, it's like okay, let's let's take a moment to to talk about this because and this is not normal. <laughs> I mean,
1: right? You yeah. pointed out something very important though, um, because it quickly becomes normal. Uh, yes. At least we, you know, we were. I think we're forced to make it normal. Um, yes. Because it's our job. But when you have a new person there that is, you know turning white and is about to pass out, uh, you really yeah. realize that like, okay, <clears throat> I'm getting kind of used to this and hardened by some of this. And so, yes, we do need to be mindful that this is, we, we shouldn't be uh, so yeah. used to this that we don't have feelings anymore,
0: right? Right, right. exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us about the progression of your disease and, and then how it led to diversion. How did this kind of, I mean, there's there's probably no like definitive starting point all of this was kind of leading up and contributing to things. But let's talk about that progression of your disease.
1: Yeah. I think um, first and foremost uh, that that the debriefing, the absence of the debriefing, um, you know, I quickly was able to find, I found a way to debrief on my own. um, And that was through, um, you know, the substances. And I just want to start with that. But, um, you know, it started, uh, it started early for me. So I, um, like I said, started this, this job and the ICU straight out of nursing school right before I graduated nursing school, maybe a, a two or three months before that, I started developing, you know, these headaches that were the worst headaches I've ever had in my life. And um, you know, found out to my primary care provider at that time that it was likely migraines. Um, but you know, he knew I was about to be embarking on my you know new career and job, and that I would have insurance at and and I could you know go see a neurologist and and kind of spread my wings out like that. But he just in the meantime told me you know take some ibuprofen and just try to manage it, go in a dark room. And um, well, that's great, but I can't always do that. And especially when I was a nurse, I mean it was quickly realizing that I, I mean, where was I going to escape to? I still had, you know, 11 and a half hours left on my shift. So, um, I, I did get a new primary doctor and saw her and, um, you know, told her about these and they were very debilitating migraines, um, very debilitating. And so, um, the, the only, first and only thing she offered me was, um, a prescription for 75 Vicodin, um, per month. And she said 75, yeah I mean you there's no way anybody would do that anymore but <laughs> 75 and, and never asked me you know have you had this stuff before um you know and I and I still to this day try to think about did I because I, I know I had something when I had my wisdom teeth up because it just knocked me out but I don't remember anything beyond that you know it, it, I was not subjected to this um, this type of medication ever so she gave me you know a prescription for 75 Vicodin and I just thought, wow, that's heavy, but okay, I'll have these for, you know, years. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you know, a week or so later, whenever it was that I ended up getting a headache, I took one tablet, and I was at home, luckily. Um, and, you know, I just noticed that not only did my headache go away, but um, man, I, I, you know, I was like jumped off the couch, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling pretty light here, and I'm feeling like, you know, I'm ready to just tackle some things. Everything just kind of went everything like this heaviness it just always seemed to exist inside me and around me and um and follow me. And it wasn't a you know, I wasn't like overly depressed, you know, most of my life or but there was just always a heaviness and I just like I couldn't escape something. Um but taking one of these that was that was gone. And so I then did what anybody in the seat would has done in the past is take another one. And um and then for me, you know, it was really sadly off to the races because the next day I woke up and I I took two right away and went out and did yard work and I didn't have a headache, but it, I just knew that whatever feeling it was was one thing one, one that I wanted to have back, you know and when I when I was um, medicated, I wasn't you know ruminating about um, you know, maybe some sad, you know, patient that i'm wondering if they're still there it wasn't always about nursing but you know that consumed a lot of my life i spent you know a majority of my time working like most of us do and so you know just that that doubt and all that self-criticism and stuff that just kind of vanished and i was able to just you know um live in some sort of you know a false state of bliss i i guess for a little bit um so, so that you know, for me, it happened right away. I mean, I definitely was something that just was noticeable for me right away. But, but again, um, never, ever would have thought, and didn't for the first couple of years that this was would be something that I couldn't control. You know, I, I I looked at it very much like I'm choosing to do this. Um, how is this any different than somebody that comes home and has a glass of wine after work? Um, and I could justify it all day long. Um, and i did that for quite a while and and also you know at that time i did have very frequent migraines as well um but i was definitely you know utilizing when i didn't have migraines but um uh i wasn't at that point um you know it was just kind of a recreation thing so it was when i got home from work or you know when i had a day off um never never would have thought to wake up and medicate and get my scrubs on and well I shouldn't say it, my pajamas. And that in that job, I actually could wear the scrubs in the unit, so I would just wear my pajamas to work, and I would put the scrubs on. But um, never would I have thought about doing that prior to work. Um, that's something that you do if you have a problem, you know, and I didn't. That's what I told myself.
0: Right. And so, how long did that last yeah. before you started diverting, and it became? Mm-hmm. More of a problem.
1: Yeah. Um, so you know, that lasted um oh, probably maybe a year. And that's that's all. Um and then, you know, there was just a a period of time where um it wasn't that I really wanted to wake up and and do that, but um, you know, unfortunately I this is something that I developed an everyday habit to, and um, and so waking up and then not having anything was, you know, very uncomfortable. And I, I it became, it quickly became uh, the story of, you know, um, I didn't feel normal or right or alert or anything without, you know, being medicated. Um, so I was having to do that before going to work. But again, would go to work and was like, at least I'm not, you know, diverting. Um, who would do that? You know, and so I did that for, for years, um, and I didn't have to divert. And I think one of the problems was, and I know that something that, that I, you know, really took advantage of was the fact that that I am a nurse. So any doctor that I had, primary doctor that I had, and, you know, I, I had switched primaries, I, I don't want to say frequently, but, but several different times because I, I took several different jobs. And it had nothing to do with the, um, well, I'm sure ultimately it had something to do with the, you know, the, the disease, but, but it wasn't to just, you know, change um, providers that I it changed hospital Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I changed hospital systems. And as you know, when you work for the hospital, you end up, that's the insurance you have, you have to go to their provider. So that kind of happened, but over all of those providers, you know, they, they, we very much had a, um, they knew I was a nurse. They trusted me. Um, I used that to my advantage and um you know i think in a lot of situations i where i would you know towards the end um and i'm talking you know six seven eight years into this um you know prescriptions were dwindling down and, and a 30 day prescription was lasting a day an hour um and and that was a problem because obviously you know it's kind of frowned upon if you call the next day and say you know i'm out <laughs> nobody <laughs> Yeah, you know, who in the right mind is gonna fill that? But I honestly, I mean, the things that I was able to get away with, and I know it was only because I was a nurse, and I think I was more believed. Um, but I would say, you know, you'll never believe. I opened the car door at the gas station, and the pill bottle fell, out, and all of them just fell into the one puddle that was on the ground. You wouldn't believe it, would you? And and boy, they believed it, and then they will come and pick up another prescription. You know, and um, fortunately, that that for me kept things, um, you know, out of the hospital, if you will, for a very long time until it just didn't, because um, there was, was no way around it. Um, and that's when I think, um, you know, I had the first thought that like maybe there's a way to do this, um, and it was on and I and I remember it specifically one of the hospitals I was working at in ICU. So I only worked in ICU, um, but our open heart um, patients would come back and uh, the, this one surgeon would let us check off the boxes of what we wanted to, or what he, what we knew he wanted us to um, order. The order set to fill out. Yep, exactly. And in that order set was um, for, the, for the oral medication, uh, pain medication, and then IV pain medication, obviously oral to be administered after they have the ventil- the breathing tube taken out. Um, sometimes that's within an hour. Sometimes that's you know days. But um, either way, the IV medication and the oral medication were active from from then on. And so, um, you know, it was easy to to figure out how to um, how to figure that system out. And and I did. And I remember the first time I did it, and I was so um, disgusted with the thought that that even thought crossed my mind. And the fact that I had even gotten to the point where I was okay doing that. And I remember just saying like, this is out of desperation. Like, if I don't do this, I can't function. And I really couldn't, but that wasn't the hospital's problem. Um, You know, but um, it was like just this one time and that's it. I just have to get through this 12 hours. I don't have any other option. Um, You know, and, and for me, the shopping around for this out out in the, in the public on the streets was just not an option. I, I didn't have to do that. I wouldn't know how to do that. Um, so anyways, that's the first time I did that. And, and I think from that point on is when it became very hard to look in the mirror, you know, and see, uh, just this, you know, Somebody whose moral compass is now just, you know, spinning out of control because it it just was a fine line in the sand and I crossed it and there's no coming back from that. But I was very mindful that I wasn't going to do it again um, until I did it again, you know, uh, because I was certain that there was going to be no way to to find this out. Right. Right. Now I know
0: you attempted to get some help and I want to hear about Mm -hmm. that. And I think, I know for me, I mean, one of my thoughts back in the day before I've met more people and heard their story has actually been, okay, I, I can see how you succumb to it, but as a healthcare professional, especially, shouldn't you recognize that there's a problem and maybe you're scared and maybe you don't know where to go, but recognize that I shouldn't be doing this. This is dangerous for everybody involved and I need to go get help. Um, and, and maybe a lot of them do, but they just don't know where to go. But you did recognize that and you did attempt that. So tell us about that.
1: Mm Yeah. Um, yes, all good points. And I think, um, you know much like others uh, that I know um, who, who battle this uh, disease unfortunately um, it just uh, it's it just steals your your mind your soul your your worth your everything and so there's no rational thought behind any of it um, and I really truly believe that even when I was realizing the depth of what I was doing and the risks I was taking, and the lives i was putting in at risk um it still was like but i i can stop if i want to um and i tried to millions of times and went through it all you know and um you know could only make it a day maybe but uh if there was just this still this just belief that like it's not as bad as i as it could be um and so anyways uh i did though you know multiple times realize that um you know, maybe I do need some extra help because like I said, I tried many times and was unsuccessful. It was like, I would, and I was so disappointed when I would, you know, I would go a day. And at that time, a day was an eternity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, you know, silently feeling so sick. I mean, the up and down off of opioids is a very painful and just a, a very dark place. And so, um, no, you know, I did realize it. And, um, you know, I was very passionate about my job. I loved my job. I loved being a nurse. I loved all that came along with it. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be feeling the way I felt and the, and just this shame about myself and the nurse I was, you know, at the time. So I finally, um, went to my primary care provider actually and said, um, you know, I don't know how to say this. Well, I, I'll just say, first of all, going, getting, seeking help at, at my job at that time was just not an option. It was not an option. And I never held a job where I ever thought it would be an option. Okay. Um, because I knew what would happen. I worked in the ICU. Um, and my job, well, actually at that time I was working in the cath lab and my job was to do conscious sedation. And so I'm giving fentanyl and, um, Versa all day long. And if I can't give fentanyl, I'm sure they can find somebody that can so what good am i yeah um what else am i going to do there so anyways i it just wasn't an option and so um yeah, it went to my primary care doctor and said look here's you no, know, i i think i may be you know taking more than i should um and i just opened it up a little bit enough to say, say that i was concerned that maybe i'm heading in the wrong direction can you help me can you just you know make a note in my chart that You know, this isn't an option anymore. Let's try different medications. Let's actually try something for migraines this time. (laughs) You know, ten years later. Um, And you know, can you can you help with that? And he said, uh, sure. And he said, actually, you know, I'll give you a referral to um, New Start, which is a a a rehab clinic in Madison here uh, in Wisconsin. So um, I actually did the intake assessment there as well. you know at that time but before I left you only know, gave me a refill obviously so I you know I was trying to spread it out and so you know that, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, like it was the last one so I just had to you know just spread it out and this was it um, and I went to that intake assessment and she I remember they called my they were calling a name and it wasn't my name but they were calling a name and I was the only one in the waiting room and it was at night and and I was really irritated because in the back of my mind I thought they're calling for me, but they got my name wrong. And like, how dare them? Do they not know my name? And, and just the fact that they didn't know my name, it was like, uh, I'm done. This is not an option for me. It was in the back of my mind. I didn't, the care. Whole
0: time. I didn't take it personally. No. Yeah.
1: Right. They didn't care. And yeah. also I didn't belong there. You know, this was a, I mean, this was a rehab clinic. This, I belonged, you know, if I was going to go through with this and I'm going to do this, Shouldn't I be somewhere where there's, like, you know, a beach or, or a more clean facility to do this? Like, I just was very arrogant the about that whole yeah. Professional. Professionals, exactly. Like, this was beneath me. Yeah. And so I just went through the motions. I, you know, they suggested an intensive outpatient um, program. And, well, how was I going to do that? I work. And and I, that really was the truth. It, it was not going to be conducive to my work schedule. And I would have had to have taken a leave of absence. Um, and how do I do that? You know, how how do I do that secretly? I guess is was was ultimately what it was. So, um, you know, I, I did the did that and then really never looked back uh, and just didn't call him back anything like that. A couple of weeks went by and well, actually, no, I'm sorry, a couple of days went by. The prescription is gone. I called and talked to asked to talk to the nurse working with my doctor said you know I'm having really bad migraines now I don't have anything and she said well the doctor is out you know but um I'll talk to the the doctor that's covering for him and and the next thing I know they left a message um saying you can pick up a prescription you know she wrote a prescription for Percocet for you and you know nobody looked at my chart there was probably no note that even exists um Saying that you know maybe this shouldn't be prescribed, so it was just off to the races again, you know. And that's when I um, started to really get into the diverting. And at that time, I was in the cath lab, and um, the only option I had was um, IV uh, fentanyl. And um, you know, the wasting process in a in a hospital is is very loose. Um, even though it's it's designed to not be, it is. It's very much based upon you know a, a buddy system and a trusting system. And it was like, well, I'll waste that, I'll waste that, and then I'll just say, you know, I'm just wasting whatever vial. Nobody needs to see the vial. They just sign their initials and it's done. But meanwhile, the vials are in my pocket, you know, and um, and that's how I, I did that for you know another month. Um, and then at that point i realized that i mean this um once it had moved over into the the fentanyl it, it just became a different um a much different ball game i it was just a matter of it wasn't a matter of um i need this it, um it was i have to have this now i that, it was just a pull that was no force uh that i know could have pulled me away from that um, certainly I couldn't pull myself away from that. So knowing that I, you know, began my search on, on the internet that, you know, what happens to a nurse when they reach this point, I was terrified. And I knew at that point that I was in way deeper than I could get myself out of, but I still didn't know where to turn for help because my job was at, my career was at stake. Um, and I then, you know, just saw the articles that don't do it. You know, don't, if you're a nurse, don't ask for help and all this stuff. And came across something through our board of nursing uh, website offering um, confidential support uh, to ask questions. If, if you need to, you have, you know, if you're battling some uh, addiction problems and you need to uh, talk to somebody and get some direction on how to handle this, we have a confidential line, leave a message. We'll call you right back within 24 hours and we'll help you. And I called that number and I, I think back and I can't exactly remember when or how or what, but I, I just, I just keep thinking I had to have been so low and so desperate at that moment to call and leave my name and my phone number willingly and tell them what I was doing and ask for help. Um, because now I know, I mean, they're mandated reporters too. They could have just turned me in right then and there, Right. but nobody called me back. Nobody ever called me back. Um, nobody ever called me back. And uh, about a week or two later, I, I, was, uh, I was caught, finally. Hmm. Wow. So it's a shame.
0: You tried. You really were, were begging for help, and, and it just wasn't there for you. So you were caught, mm-hmm. and now it's up, and you have, you're, you're now able to get the help. That you were trying to get because you're not hiring anymore from your employer, right? It's over. Um, so now go get help.
1: Yeah, it was over, that's for sure. And as as depleting and as um crush soul crushing and just life-changing as that realization in that moment was that like the, the jig is up, Melissa, um, because it wasn't just up at work. I mean, I, this was up my, everyone in my life didn't know, you know, they may have questioned, but um, anytime they had questioned before it was like, are you serious? You think I would do that? You think I would be that I'm a nurse. I know what I'm doing. I just have migraines, you know, so I fought off everyone and, and had it under control. Nobody would have saw that coming like apparently um so i was able to um you know really just keep that quiet but that you know nothing like getting caught for um and facing possible felony charges that that makes everybody have to know now what's going on so i I had to alert everybody really um yeah and like i said that was just such a uh, awful moment in time but it was also um freeing at the same time because I knew that like that now it's out and now I can actually yeah now I'm going to be getting what I need somehow yeah um yeah so that was a a very good moment because that to me felt like the only way I could have had the freedom to to get that help right yeah
0: um how did you get caught
1: when how how uh yeah um what had happened was um, I, it was a, a Friday and actually that Friday at work, um, it was the week before Nurses Week and, um, or I'm sorry, Health Professionals Week. And um, I, they had just, the the employees there had decided to start this new um, monthly award that they would give out. Um, and it was going to be based upon the, you know, the person who's the, the biggest helper and, you know, most willing to jump in and just help. Um, and so I was given the inaugural uh, award for that. And it was like <laughs> this plaque that they were going to have my name engraved on and they were going to keep adding to it. And they're like, you, you know, I remember I just and I have a picture that I have on, in my favorites on my phone because I look at it all the time and, and remind myself that that is never the person I want to go back to. But, you know, here I am smiling, uh, you know, eyes droopy tired, um, nobody recognized that, but holding a, a plaque of with people around me that were just so gracious and really honoring that I was willing to jump in and help. And I was, and, and that is still a part of me. And I, And I know that I can't erase that, there still was, you know a, a large huge part of that was really uh um, you know my intentions were really true with that i mean i i always do want to help out my co-workers and i wanted to do as much as i could but i also would be lying if i said a lot of that wasn't you know being offered so that i could have the opportunity to take the waste exactly you know so yeah. it really was you know it was lined with good intentions but it, it really wasn't full of them so um I got the award and I went home that night thinking I had collected enough uh, to get me through the weekend, you know, it it wasn't even and see what's important to remember is it's not about any sort of. um, uh, You know, it's not like uh, going out and getting drunk and it's not like having a great time, this is just about daily maintenance, Um, you know, so it was like do I have enough to just keep keep me. Baseline for the weekend so that I can function. You know, um, I had a small child at home, um, and so I, I had to function. Um, so, anyways, I, for what I thought I had collected and enough uh, to get me through two days, um, got me through Friday night. And so, Saturday morning, um, you know, woke up and started doing some yard work and then quickly realized that I can't do that because I'm, I'm you know, really ready to out of my skin. And um, my dad happened to come over and I said, Oh, Hey, you know, dad, why don't you, you want to ride to the hospital with me? Because I I need to change something on my schedule. But I was fully in, you know, intending on getting, I had to get something. I had to do that. Um, Packed up my dad and my daughter, who at that time was um, two and drove to the hospital. And I said, just wait here. I'll be right back. And I walked, you know, went up there, badging myself all the way up to the you know top floor and when the elevator opened uh one of my coworkers was there dressed in scrubs and a hat and um you know they had been called in and i wasn't on call uh so when the doors opened we both looked at each other like oh and i said what are you doing here and she's looked at me and she said well obviously we got called in and she said what are you doing here you're not on call and i was like oh no you're right i mean i just came to i have to change something on my schedule you know and just very casually or so i thought you know just blew it off like, don't you come here on a Saturday when you're not working, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? And uh, and when the clinic's not even open, you know that type of thing. But uh, you know, so the whole emergency team is in in a the first suite, cath lab suite, and I walked to the cath lab suite directly across the hallway, and um, and then you know didn't have the lights on, but I could, just wanted to quickly access the system. And by that point, I wasn't even covering my tracks well enough to you know, pull up a, somebody who has even been in the cath lab. It was just anybody in the hospital that I could find that had a a PRN for the same medications that I would have available, I, I pulled them up. And um, in doing so, in trying to get in and out of there, um, I miscounted. And the minute I closed the, the, the lid and shut the door, you know, it went <laughs> a discrepancy. And right away i was like i had a little bit of a you know a turn in my stomach and i thought oh that's not good um but in this in this right here demonstrates the power of addiction that i immediately thought i'll be able to talk my way out of it on monday i'll handle it it's not a big deal i can talk my way out of it grabbed the stuff and left and then i went um home and you know, thought I'd had enough to get through uh, the next couple of days, and um, got enough to get through Saturday afternoon. So um, went back and did it again the next day, not knowing, uh, not knowing now that um, really what happened. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you that in a second. So um, did it Sunday. Came home Sunday night. I was sitting in the basement with my daughter, who was two. And I have a video that uh, right before I got this call of her kind of bouncing and then falling out of this little tiny chair and we were laughing and, you know, I was like basically on t- as on top of the world as I thought I, I was at that time, um, you know, just happy and content and, you know, not sick. Um, and I got a phone call and it was from an unknown number. So I let it go to voicemail and then I listened to the voicemail and it basically said, uh, you know, this is hospital administration and, um don't come in. You are under investigation for diversion. Uh, we'll be in touch. And, um, and at that moment I immediately got off the couch and I walked upstairs and I started looking out the window because I thought that's it. Like I thought for sure, you know, the police are coming there. What's going to happen to my daughter. I was just, you know, pretty inconsolable. Um, come to find out though, after reading the, um, police report, you know, um, many months later uh, that it was that Saturday um, that I was there the first time and caused a discrepancy that alerted one of my coworkers that they were a little suspicious of why I was there and where I went. And so they went and somehow in the room then found the discrepancy uh, called security who then called the um, you know police department. And and essentially the, the jig was up on Saturday, but, but Melissa, didn't find that out until Sunday, Sunday. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. As long as you're not creating discrepancies, if people aren't intentionally looking at the oh. automated dispensing machine activity, sometimes you can get away with coming in on your day right. off. But as soon as your I name
1: popped you know. on that,
0: it's why was she here? And yep. then questions start. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that was, yeah. Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of takeaways in here. Um,
1: Right.
0: Yeah, a lot of takeaways, not only for those that have a substance use disorder and can see themselves heading in that direction and not getting the help that they tried to get Mm -hmm. because other people, quite frankly, kind of let you down. Um, And then for those who are monitoring for drug diversion is
1: to- Exactly. and I think it's important too. I, I do want to add this because you know, um, you know, in the in the talks that I do now, I you know we talk about how to recognize this and in, in in a coworker and so forth. And um, when I read the police report and and it gave the names of the you know the nurses who essentially called security and alerted uh, everybody to this. Um, when I first read that, you know. Um, it it hurt i mean my heart was like you know instantly heavy because i'm my initial reaction and granted this was only six months or so into you know my 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 new reality um i was i was upset because i was like why would you do that to me why didn't you come to me why didn't you try to get me help or you know whatever i just was like those are those were my friends um and it didn't take me long after that, and maybe, you know, less than a year, so maybe a month or two later, that I was able to say, um, thank thank God that, um, that they did do that, and they really saved my life. Um, yeah. So I say in the talks that it's so important to not, because um, had they done it the, the reverse way, you know, and just said, hey, Melissa, you know, we're going to we could cover for you whatever I mean I I probably would have been dead by now you know or by then so the fact is is I I really encourage I mean it it couldn't have been easy for them to do that and I I I realize that and I acknowledge that and I think the fact that they did that anyways it's just important to remember that that you could be saving somebody's life and that's exactly what they did to me they they literally saved my life and so I'm very grateful for that yeah yeah.
0: Well on that note, I think it's been about 8 years
1: that you've been in recovery. Yeah, so I I celebrated 8 years of sobriety on uh, May 4th of this year. So yeah. Um congratulations. Thank you. And it's incredible. I mean, I I couldn't even go a day before. I couldn't go 8 hours. And somehow, you know, not somehow. I know exactly how it's happened. Yeah. Um but 8 years, that's a long time and it's just I you know, sometimes when I have to relive this and, and tell the story over, um, I even catch myself drifting off in the middle of the story thinking, is that really my story? Cause that just is so far from the person I am. Yeah. And it, the person I even was at that time, it, it just, I was quickly, you know, stolen away from, um, from drugs. Like so many people are, and, um, you know, wasn't able to to grasp onto anything it did just happened too quickly but um it is my story it is the reason i'm here now um but sometimes hard to hard to actually you know hear those things you know oh, because sure. it's it just very different than the person i am today yeah. thank god yeah.
0: no i'm sure and i, I thank yeah. you for reliving that for us and telling it then i hope that it helps somebody out there on you know in whatever space that they're in a, a peer that is watching it happen with somebody or somebody that's going through it themselves or,
1: mm-hmm. um, absolutely somebody that's yeah.
0: thinking about whether they should say something or not, cause they have suspicions, but, um, yeah.
1: It's- right. There's right. And I'm hoping, yes, that there's a lot of takeaways and if it just, it only reaches one person, that is enough because, um, you know, this is something that, is unfortunately a, a reality um, more than we like to to acknowledge or um, you know admit yeah. I to. I, I,
0: I think that's part uh, of the problem, right? Is right. that we don't, we, because we don't acknowledge that it's the reality, it's very yeah. quick to pass it off as something else. That's not what people first think of when they're thinking, oh, that was kind of weird, what they did. Um, right,
1: and, there, and there's so much that goes into that there's so much there's so many layers to that i mean nursing is is voted what the most trusting profession you know for 20 years in a row yeah, yeah. um yeah. and then you you hear this story you know um yeah. but ultimately yeah i mean we're all human and, and it's to 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 meet somebody who's not touched by some sort of um you know connection to substance use uh these days is 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 very hard to find because You know, we've all either seen it with somebody, know somebody with it, or or we've dealt with it. You know, in our immediate family, and um, you know, it's much like a cancer or something. It it doesn't um, discriminate. You know, I never thought I would end up here. Um, I actually, after all this happened, and I had to meet with the board of nursing face to face, um, to kind of allow my license to be suspended. And I had to explain to them what happened. And I had to sit at the end of a big, long board table with all the board members sitting around it. Um, And I I remember before I started, you know, my attorney whispered to me and just said, you know, just take a couple deep breaths and, you know, don't say too much, but just say what you have to say. And um, I had a moment where I just thought, you know, I I rewinded my life, you know, 10 years prior to that in nursing school and thinking of the board of nursing and, um, you know, How did i wind up here and have i would i have ever thought that i would have been here nobody could have ever you know convinced me that that would have been possible and so it just yeah i just was quickly not even in control
0: right and i remember you shared with me we didn't talk about it here but i remember you shared with me that somebody came when you were in nursing school i believe or or new boy orientation or something and he told you his story and how he had ended up with the substance use disorder and had diverted and that you were actually, like most of us that haven't been through it, you were actually quite judgmental. Like how in the world did you do that? Or could you do that? That you know would never happen to me. So it wasn't just that you were lying to yourself and had always had issues. I mean, you literally, that was the furthest thing from your mind that you could ever succumb to that.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's exactly like what you had said, you know, touched on earlier that um, you're a nurse. Don't you know better? Don't you recognize the signs leading up to this? Um, and it's kind of it kind of reminds me of um, my uh, back at my first first job that I had um, the cardiac um, or the cardiothoracic surgeon that, you know, would, would uh, perform all the operations for the open heart patients that we would recover. He um, would disappear after he brought the patient back, and then he'd come back like 15 minutes later, and he just stunk like cigarette smoke. And I can never forget, like my, you know, brand new nurse, brand new nurse there, thinking the same kind of along the same lines that he smokes. Like, does he not know better? i mean, <laughs> yeah he literally cares for I mean he does surgery on people all day long and he's out there smoking so it's along the same lines right like um
0: an addiction is having, an addiction it's yeah is
1: right and it just yeah exactly and and it's um it's almost like you become outside of yourself and you don't see that you're gonna end up in the same you right. know, percentage of, of population but yes that did happen in, in school and um and throughout that guy's talk and, and um, you know, I just was kind of, I mean, there was a lot of things. that I was shocked. I was disgusted. I was um, curious. I was, this was also way before I even had, you know, um, had any experience with uh, the medication. So, but, but very much, um, you know, judgmental because like, you know, how do you not control that? How does somebody ever get to that? Point. And that was my belief about, you know, alcoholics, addicts, anyone, is that you've kind of chosen this path, so I don't really feel bad for you that you got your license taken away from you. Um, and then, unfortunately, you know, my that perception and that um, judgment followed me for a very long time. And, you know, working in in the medical system, I – I mean, I, I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand that, um, you know, people are, are turned away at emergency rooms, um, because we're, you know, we just label them as they're drug seeking. Um, so yes, that, that was very much my mentality, but I can tell you one thing though, as much as I thought that maybe that was not, you know, that maybe that was more of his character defects instead of, you know, actually a disease, his story, um, was one of the very first things I that came back into my mind when I couldn't, you know, look at myself in the mirror and in any longer be like proud of who I was. Look who was looking back, you know. When I first started my career, I was very proud. Of, like, look who's looking back. Like, this is somebody who made it through nursing school. I mean, whoever who would have ever thought Melissa was going to get that far? I mean, I pulled off be average. Um, you know, my mom was so happy about that. Um, But just the work that I was doing and the lives I was touching and changing and helping and saving, um, I quickly became that person. I just couldn't look at myself because I didn't see that anymore. I saw just this disappointment and this just, how did you get here? Uh, Yeah.
0: And was his story kind of a beacon of hope for you when you thought about him? It's like, he came out of this, I can do it. It
1: it, it was. It was, but it, what, what more overshadowed that for me was more of the fact of um, I'm still not like him. I mean, I haven't gotten caught. I'm not, I'm not going to get caught. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Interesting. And, um, yep, it was, well, well, he was doing something different. He was using IV drugs, and he was falling asleep, and I'm not doing that. I have energy, and I'm caring for everybody. You're still in control. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. Even yeah. though I was a hundred percent not. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. My inspiration didn't come until much later on until after, unfortunately I was um, caught. Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, Melissa, for your sharing. Congratulations on your eight years and um, keep up that hard work. And um, I really appreciate you spending your time with me. Thank you
1: yeah thank you and thanks for doing this i just think it's so valuable and so important and i just appreciate the the space um and the non-judgmental space to to be able to share this with the hopes that that we can start to uh, look at this for what it is and and try to help yeah Yeah. so thank you